It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the Julia Hartley Brewer Coronavirus Update. If you're in lockdown, just like me, don't worry. I've put together some of the best bits from my talk radio breakfast show into this daily podcast so you won't miss any of the day's biggest coronavirus updates. Enjoy. And stay safe. Online, on DAB, and on the Talk Radio app. Talk Radio. Talk Radio Breakfast with Julia Hartley Brewer and The Times. Be well informed. Good morning to you. This is Talk Radio Breakfast with me, Julia Hartley Brewer. Thank you very much indeed for your company. Uh, Joining me right now is Northern Ireland Secretary Brandon Lewis. Good morning to you. Good morning, Julia. Good morning. Um, I just want to ask your thoughts about the Black Lives Matter protest in Hyde Park, London. Um, No no social distancing, thousands of people meeting up when it's illegal to meet up in a group of more than six, uh, and yet police didn't take any action. Is that acceptable? Well, I think the police have got a very difficult balancing decision to make, and I'm not going to prejudge what the police uh, may do in the future and what the decisions they've had to make, because they've got that really difficult balance between wanting to ensure that people have the right to protest, which people do have peacefully, but people should be following social guidelines. And I know the police's concern was about um, whether they're getting involved can make matters actually worse in terms of the reaction from people. And, and I would just say to people, look, the right to protest is an important one, but it's all the more powerful for not just being peaceful, but following the guidelines. Um, yeah, but that means you're not allowed to meet up in large groups of thousands of people in, in, in Hyde Park. I mean, we know that, and yet it was allowed to happen. I'm asking whether it should be allowed to happen. At the moment, the law going through Parliament to inquire us to have 14 days quarantine after flying back in from a holiday this summer, uh, and yet we've got thousands of people, many of whom ethnic minorities, we now believe to be at higher risk of dying of the virus, meeting together, no social distancing, t- you know, c- closely touching each other, touching, hugging police officers, putting them at risk as well. Um, uh, and and pretty much no action whatsoever was taken. I just want to know: is it one law for one group of people and one law for another group of people in this country? Now, is that is that how it works? Uh, no, it's not. And I think one of the things we've said all along with this, and I think I've, I've said this on on your show before, following the comments of the World Health Organization, is the reality is. All of us now and going forward for a considerable time are going to have to take some self-responsibility for how we live through this virus. We're very clear, and you're quite right, Julia, people should be following social distancing for the safety and health of both themselves and those around them. And I would say to anybody protesting that they should be following the social distancing guidelines. Uh, It's a very difficult situation that the police find themselves in wanting to deal with this to facilitate protests, which have got a long history around the world and in our country, but in a peaceful way. Um, People see an appalling situation in the US, but they still need to ensure that while we're dealing with coronavirus, 
that they need to not just protest peacefully, but follow the guidelines. Okay, well, uh, let's talk about how you're going to actually enforce uh, these uh, these rules when it comes to the quarantine plan. Uh, that's uh, uh, a lot of the front pages as well as uh, other stories today. Uh, the quarantine plan is going ahead, but we're told that the scientists on stage were not consulted. Sir Patrick Vallance, the chief scientific advisor, says it would only really be effective to quarantine people if they're from countries with high rates of infection. Can you explain to me what the point of quarantining people at this stage of the pandemic is, particularly someone coming in from, say, a country like Portugal or Greece, which has seen an incredible low rate of the virus. Uh, you could argue actually that uh, Brits leaving the country to travel to those con- those countries and uh, the people from those countries that are coming to this country would actually um, lower our, our rate in this country and make us all safer. Well the system itself is designed to keep the transmission rate down as, I, uh, as we've outlined. It's about managing the risk of new cases that could be brought in from abroad and I do appreciate the point you're making Julia. The scientific advice that is on this is actually clear and SAGE have been involved in this process. In fact John Ashton who is the Chief Scientific Advisor at the Home Office has made a, the point quite clearly that coronaviruses that enter in the UK from abroad matter most when we have a low level of our own community infection and that's why we want to be as far as we can as we go for staying ahead of um, where this virus is progressing how it's progressing keeping that r rate down this is something we're keeping under review it's going to have a formal review every three weeks um, to ensure that we do everything we can to prevent that marginal impact that extra impact that the extra person that the marginality of that goes up as our lower rate here in the uk one person coming in from abroad has a bigger impact and we want to make sure we're doing all we can to protect people from that. Well, one person coming in from abroad has a bigger impact and would have done in February and March and yet we didn't have quarantine then. Understandable during the lockdown, only people flying into the country pretty much were Brits uh, travelling back in from abroad to a point when we were in lockdown so they effectively everyone was in quarantine anyway. But there were lots of demands, lots of calls for us to follow other countries and pose uh, quarantine and some testing measures at our airports to, uh, in, in February and March when people were flying in not just from China but actually it would appear Italy and Spain were the biggest problems, um, flying in from countries with a mass problem, and we didn't do it then. Why on earth would we now be quarantining people coming in from the countries like, indeed, Italy and Spain, which currently have a lower rate of coronavirus infection than we do here in the UK? Yeah, and I think that people have a valid point in asking that question. The, 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 the simple answer is that both part two things, actually. In February and March, obviously, the, our community spread and infection rate was much higher than it is now. Um, and that because it's lower now, this has a much bigger impact. That comes back to the point that some of the Not scientists... Not in February. But even in February, I was going to say, actually, Julia, at the back of February, obviously, our rate was already on that movement upwards. But even back in February, we had, we did have, I think it's easy to forget because it seems a long time ago now, but... In February, we did have enhanced monetary measures at UK airports. We were doing no, you things. D- no, no, you um, didn't. No, that's not, I know lots of people, and I've spoken to lots of people who flew into British airports. They were, didn't have a temperature taken, didn't have anything, didn't, weren't given a form, weren't given a leaflet, nothing. Well, there were, all of this is based on risk assessment based on what we think has the most beneficial impact in protecting the health and security of people here in the UK. There were enhanced measures at the airports. I'm not saying everybody had a test when they came in, but there were some enhanced measures at the airports. You may even remember in the very early days we had people who were going to a specific NHS facility if they had symptoms. Of course, one of the challenges always with the idea of testing is that somebody having a test, even if they're clear, doesn't necessarily mean they're not going to have the virus, but they're not ready, they won't prove positive at a test at that point. They could do a few hours later or even a, a day or so later as the virus incubates. So, but as the as the rate in our own community was so high, actually having the quarantine measures at the airport would not have made a beneficial difference, particularly as we were bringing home so many thousands of British citizens themselves. So, but now that our community spread is much, much lower, that our rate is lower, 
this does have a beneficial impact and is something that, as, as I say, following the scientific advice is the right thing to do as we go forward. But, but we it, will be- except, except it's not following the scientific advice because SAGE have not been consulted on this decision. Uh, lots of people are saying that this is, this is about the government trying to appear to be doing something. It's a popular measure. People think it's, it, it has the appearance of, of doing something, although it won't actually make any real difference. And the, the measure, although there's been a massive outcry from the travel industry and many Tory backbenchers and many others saying this doesn't really serve any point now, that they're going to keep it in place for three more weeks as a face-saving measure and then you're going to relax it at the end of June so people can uh, go on their holidays to certain European destinations. This, meanwhile, is going to sort of kill off a huge number of jobs in the aviation and tourism industry, cause chaos uh, and and concern and and delay for an awful lot of people who would like to make plans for the summer. Um, And and it's all about saving face for the government. What would you say to that accusation? Oh, well, I'd say, look, it's, I'm afraid it's based on a false premise. So SAGE have been involved in this process. And as I say, Professor John Ashton, who's the chief scientific advisor at the Home Office, is one of the people who's been closely involved in um, putting the details of this together with the Home Office. Ultimately, yes, we as politicians, the ministers are the ones who make decisions. We have to make decisions based on the balance of our understanding of the scientific advice, as this has been in the best interest of the health and the safety of people across the United Kingdom. And as, as I say, as our virus spread rate is so much lower within our communities now in the UK. Okay. This kind of action has a, an impact that is beneficial and the right thing to do at this point. I'm just going to reiterate, Sir Patrick Vallance yesterday confirmed at the Downing Street press conference, standing alongside the Prime Minister, that SAGE scientists have not been asked to provide advice on this specific quarantine proposal. Well, I was actually, as I say, scientific advisors have been involved in this process. And actually, Patrick Vallance himself also made the point that where the R rate and the spread within our communities is lower action like this does have a beneficial impact from from specific from from countries with a higher rate of infection okay but let, let's move on from this let's Let's talk about Alex Sharma, your colleague, the, the business secretary. He appeared to be uh, getting ill and whopping his brow when he was at the dispatch books in the House of Commons yesterday. He's now uh, uh, to, to, take, gone home. Uh, he's isolating. He's ha- taken a coronavirus test. If it does prove that he is uh, testing positive for coronavirus, uh, that means that anyone who's been in contact with him is going to have to self-isolate and to be tested as well. Um, was it a good idea to bring uh, MPs back to the House of Commons? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Look, absolutely. It was the right thing to do to get members of parliament so they can properly scrutinise government. We've got to get on with our legislative agenda as well. But it's why the House authorities have gone to such great efforts and done a, um, a, a hugely important job in setting up the House of Commons so that we do have proper social distancing following all of the guidelines. And the same applies with Alok Sharma. Obviously, we're a bit premature. He's not got the results of his tests yet, but he will have been following those proper guidelines and following the, the routines set out by the House authorities. On DAB and on the Talk Radio app. Talk Radio. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. 
There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker, Talk Radio. Let's talk about the prospect of going to university this year. I have to say, my heart has gone out to young people as much as it has to elderly people uh, isolating on their own during this uh, lockdown missing out on such amazing years of their life. You're never going to be 16 again or 18 again, never going to start university again or have your final year and all of those great moments, those, those moments of passage, passage of our, our lives, which we, we all remember from our own uh, young years, many, many years ago, younger years. Uh, but now universities are talking about how they can bring students back in September. We've already had that uh, uh, suggestion from Cambridge University. They'll have virtual lectures only uh, until next year at the earliest. But university leaders from Universities UK have said that students if they do come back may have to stay in a protective bubble of the same small group when they reopen uh, and they may not even be able to get anything but a virtual freshers week so is it worth going to uni this year let's talk to professor liz barnes she's vice chancellor of staffordshire university and she's a member of university uk's coronavirus recovery sounding board good morning to you liz Good morning. I have to say, it does sound absolutely grim, this idea. So, you know, virtual lectures, probably uh, virtual uh, tutorials as well for those students who get those. And uh, you're not even allowed to go to student parties. How is this going to work? Well, it won't be quite as bad as it sounds. Clearly, we've got to um, make changes to the experience. But students will be coming onto campus and they will be seeing other students. And we won't just be doing virtual induction events. We're looking at how we can have social activities whilst respecting the social distance requirements. So we'll be doing much more, um, many more outdoor activities um, using spaces where we can. The Students' Union are working with us on this, but our students as well, actually, even in the, t- the good times when we could be, t- be together and have big parties, did choose to do quite a lot of things virtually. You know, they enjoy their computer games. They sit in their own spaces while they play them. So it'll be a mix of some virtual activities, but a lot of physical activity as well on the campus. Well, um, I mean, you say, out, you say outdoor activities. Outside. Outdoor activities yeah. are all very well when it's nice and sunny and dry and preferably warm. Yeah. We're already going to be seeing in the next few weeks as, as a rainy weather comes in, how much harder it is for us to socialise outdoors. I can't imagine what it's going to be like in, I mean, oh, Jim, it's about, I, married, I married a bloke from Staffordshire. What's it going to be like <laughs> in Staffordshire um, come, come October, November? I'm not sure many people are going to want to be socialising outdoors. 
No, well, actually, I do remember last induction, though, and uh, there were so many outdoor activities. It was one of the things that I loved looking at across the campus. But you're right, but we do have covered areas outside as well. So we have, and we've got big areas like the sports hall that we can have a group of students in there, but it just won't be quite the same. But hopefully, you know, the social distancing will continue for some time, but then life will begin to return to normal. The parties, etc., may be a bit longer coming. But you talked as well about students being in this protective bubble. What it actually means is grouping students together that are studying together if they're living in halls. And, of course, many of our students don't, over 50% commute. Um, But it just means that track and trace becomes easier. They're spending more time with a selected group of students. But it doesn't mean they won't be seeing other students. Oh, okay. But it's just just, just trying to sort of, you know, have that cohort together. And so often student halls try and spread people around so you meet people from lots of other different subject groups. Um, What, I mean, how how small a group would it be? I mean, if it's a group of 20, maybe not so bad. A group of six is going to be a bit miserable, isn't it? Well, no, because what this means actually is, you know, in halls, you have a number of people living in a, a group of flats or in a house with rooms. We've reduced the number of students within any flat or any house to manage um, the challenges currently. But when they go to class, they might be living in a house of four or eight students potentially. But when they go to class, they might be in a, they'll be in a room with potentially 20, 25, depending on the size of the room. That's a piece of work we're doing at the moment about how many students we can have in each room according to whether social distancing is two metres or one metre. Yeah, and that's going to make a big difference. Now, we know a lot of universities in Britain are facing a real uh, financial problem uh, with uh, the fact that so many foreign students are are not applying, not accepting offers uh, right now. And, of course, that's a huge, huge, huge uh, financial uh, influx of money. And, of course, the foreign students pay a hell of a lot more than the, you know, nine and a half grand that that, that British students pay. Um, There's also been a concern, though, that uh, students, uh, that the universities are so desperate to get to fill those places and to get some money in. So they're making unconditional offers uh, to a lot of students who, who, frankly, perhaps shouldn't be on those courses but they're basically being told well it doesn't matter what your grades would have been doesn't matter what you do you can come along anyway because we'd like your, your cash please is that really a way to run a university well well that isn't how unconditional offers necessarily work and unconditional it is it is, it is these days in my years. day in no 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 in my day they're about four percent and now in some universities it's about 40 percent don't tell me all of those people have got got particular issues some of those, some of the offers being classed as unconditional are offers such as where students have had interviews or they might have brought a portfolio of work. So judgments were made on other factors. But also, for instance, we have many um, mature students who might not have the academic background um, that other um, students leaving school have, but they bring their experience of life. And again, we assess their abilities in a different way. Um, And so it isn't just a move to say, oh, this year we need to have lots of unconditional offers. Unconditional offers have been around for many years. So it's not a response to the current environment. But anyway, things are in hand to manage that. Okay. Now, how many students uh, are are seeking to defer? I have to say, it's a bit of a dilemma, isn't it, right now? Because you'd think, well, there aren't any jobs out there. It's going to be difficult to get even, you know, gap year work or to to go on a gap year travel if you could afford to do that. Uh, But then maybe might be nicer to defer your your, your freshers week, your your first year of university to to the next year so that you could actually enjoy the, hopefully, fingers crossed, the full experience. Yeah, we actually don't know how many students are going to seek to defer at the moment. And we're still waiting. June the 18th is the cutoff date for students to take their choices in terms of which university they want to go to. And we have got a lot more outstanding 
offers this year than in previous years. So students are obviously taking their time to make that decision, but we're coming close to the deadline. Across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker, Talk Radio. Huge death toll in care homes across the UK. Let's talk to Professor Hugh Pennington, who's an emeritus microbiologist at uh, University of Aberdeen. Good morning to you. Good morning. Good morning. Um, and we've been speaking to uh, the uh, uh, chief executive of the the biggest uh, independent care home providers, sort of representing them a little bit earlier, saying that it, obviously ma- major mistakes were made and sort of failure of the political systems across the board. But what do you think went went, went wrong? Because it was a desire to sort of to save the NHS and, and and protect the NHS. But was that at the expense of vulnerable elderly people in care homes? Well, that's the impression one gets that a large number of uh, people were discharged really quite rapidly from hospitals uh, to to care homes. Not all of them went to care homes, some went, went home, but they, you know, they were they were sitting in hospital, they'd had their treatment, they'd, you know, recovered, uh, and so the hospital said, right, let, let's, let's, uh, let's discharge them. But unfortunately, there was no testing. So some of these people, and we know that the virus was busy in hospitals, you know, it was spreading in hospitals, uh, and so some of these people, unfortunately, had the virus and were discharged to care homes with the virus. And then, of course, you know, the inevitable is that in a care home, it's very difficult to do the infection control procedures that even hospitals can do, not always successfully. You know, hospitals are designed for infection control and the staff are yeah. all trained and they have a top priority. But even there, you have problems with infection control, as we, as we all well, well know. But care homes, you know, the, the whole idea of a care home basically is, is to keep the residents sort of, you know, uh, as domestic as possible and have them interacting with each other and all that kind of thing, which is really just against the, the sort of first principles of infection control, where you sort of essentially lock people up. And people with, uh, with dementia, of course, they don't take very kindly to that. So, no. you know, they were a disaster area in the sense of when there's a nasty bug outside, you have to do everything you can to stop it getting in. And we've known that for years with flu, with E. coli, yeah. 157, and now with COVID. So clearly there was a big failure of thinking about how do we stop this virus getting into care homes. One way, of course, would be to test residents who are being transferred into them and also testing the staff because we know that the virus can infect somebody and make them infectious without causing any symptoms at all. Well, and this is it. And unless we had a complete lockdown, we were discussing a bit earlier, and care home staff were not themselves returning to their families, travelling on public transport, which would be virtually impossible for most of those low incomes uh, with children to care for, impossible for them to do so. And I think far too big an ask of of those people as well. Um, But there there is a big issue, isn't it? The government has said repeatedly to me, the cabinet minister said, look, we know fewer people have been transferred from care homes to hospitals in the last few months than would normally be the case. But of course, this turns out to be because low of people who were unwell, elderly people with other ailments uh, in care homes, were not transferred into hospital as they normally would be um, during that period. So it may well be also an awful lot of the people who have had coronavirus in care homes, uh, whether they've been tested or not, um, actually have died of other issues, but they've just not been able to get the hospital treatment they would normally get. That's right. So in a sense, they've been discriminated against. They haven't had the the sort of medical care that, that, that ordinary folk would expect to get. And, okay, you know, coronavirus is very difficult to treat. We don't have a treatment for it, but we can alleviate the symptoms and we can carry people through the symptoms um, and and most people will recover. But if you're in a a situation where you're not really getting the the sort of full medical attention, that doesn't increase your chances of of survival. So I think 
from the microbiological point of view, and you know, it's, it's where I'm coming from, we, we fail to have the rules in place to stop the virus getting into the care homes. Um, and the, the, one of the, the essential failures that we had was that basically the testing regime that we had was insufficient for that purpose. And, yeah. and so we didn't know what was going on. Uh, there were many cases in care homes that were not properly diagnosed. There were people carrying in the virus, uh, you know, people being transferred into them and, and maybe some of the staff as well, unwittingly, not their fault at all, unwittingly into care homes and starting off an outbreak about which one then could do rather little. And we know that care home residents have an average age much greater than that of the general population. And, and we therefore we're higher at risk indeed. I mean, do, I mean, do you think that everything fundamentally keeps coming back down to test and trace? And look, we know that everyone often makes a comparison with, with, with Germany. Germany was a unique outlier in Europe in terms of having the Roche lab facilities, particular health services. They were set up for, they had the lab uh, availability right there and then. But um, the, we, we were almost uniquely bad here in the UK in, in keeping up testing and tracing and building up that ability. And that would have saved lives. That's right, he would. And I mean, you can't do test and trace. You can't do contact tracing without having testing, because you have to identify the first case that they that you know, then go to look um, for, for the, the contacts who are they infected, or maybe even who has infected them. And this is standard public health, you know, medicine shoe leather epidemiology, as they call it, that's been going on, you know, in certain for some infections for many, many, many years. There are lots of experienced people who can do this, but without having the testing capacity. Um, you know, it, it's incredibly difficult, really almost impossible to do it. And we failed in getting the testing capacity ramped up early on when we knew that we were going to have to do lots of tests. And um, my main criticism is, is not so much that we didn't have a big testing regime in place at the beginning, because this was a brand new virus, new yeah. challenge, but we could have done a lot more to get the testing ramped up much more quickly. Absolutely. Yeah, lots Absolutely. of labs out there who could have done it that didn't seem to be being asked to do it and who actually volunteered to do it. And, 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 we're, and Yes, and were refused. Uh, professor Hugh Pennington, thank you very much indeed for joining us. Emeritus uh, uh, Professor of Microbiology at the University of Aberdeen. Online, on DAB and on the Talk Radio app. Talk Radio. Thanks for listening to today's Julia Hartley Brewer coronavirus update. Please don't forget to like, comment and most importantly, subscribe. And you can catch me live on the Talk Radio Breakfast Show every weekday from 6.30 till 10. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.